0: that's me just trying to keep the damn thing in the air we were flying low over the Bering Sea to the north I could see maybe a quarter mile up a coastal plain veiled in clouds I knew the mountains we'd originally planned to fly through weren't too far inland but I couldn't see them below us were bare rocks covered with gulls and cormorants and choppy gray salt water that looked very cold Reuben was busy fiddling with the controls. Keeping the damn thing in the air seemed like a real good plan. We landed on a pond that looked about the size of a mud puddle from the air, exactly the kind of place a beaver was made for. Doug and I piled out along with some fresh supplies for the camp. The old sports piled in along with an outboard motor that needed fixing. There were first impressions and quick handshakes all around. Dave, the cook, was a short, wide man with a black beard and a hint of Georgia drawl. Good news for those who believe you should never eat at a place with a skinny cook. The guides, Tyler and Matt, were loose-limbed, bearded, scruffy, and young, with exposed skin like leather. A month later, I'd show a friend a photo of the three of us cradling a salmon I'd caught, and instead of complimenting me on the size and condition of the fish, He'd say Geez, where'd you find those hippies? Reuben was back in the air in ten minutes, not wanting to dawdle in case the weather turned for the worse. Before long we were in a John boat motoring upstream to the confluence of the Naguk Flick and the Ungalic Fluke rivers, which the guides had understandably renamed Rainbow and Wrong Way. This was a quick errand before supper. We simply motored to a long pool where Matt and Tyler knew chum salmon would be rolling and caught a few. These were hard, muscular fish, but like all Pacific salmon, they were there to spawn once and then die, and as soon as they hit fresh water, they would begin to sour. They were silver when they had entered the river, but even close enough to the sea that you could smell salt in the air they were beginning to color up in dripping wax patterns of sickly greens and purples. Several years ago, there was a move afoot to change the name of this fish to calico salmon, because it was thought that would sound more appealing to tourists than chum or dog salmon, as they're sometimes called. It never caught on. As we neared camp on the way back, Matt's German shepherd, Kaiser, trotted down to the river, and playfully hid behind the single tuft of tall grass on the bank, with his ears clearly showing. The joke here was that when he walked past, he didn't jump out at us, which is typical of this breed's dry sense of humor. You could say Kaiser was the camp's early bear warning system, and not be wrong, but most days he was just uncomplicated company. The camp was a collection of tents and tan-colored weather ports, Picture a cross between a wall tent and a Quonset hut. There was no light in the cook tent except for what little seeped through the canvas walls and the two small, translucent windows. A lantern would have required kerosene, and a light bulb would have burned gas in the generator, and there was no real reason to waste either. Even batteries for headlamps don't exactly grow on trees out here. Before my eyes got accustomed to it, I stepped on Kaiser, who was mostly black and continually underfoot. Dinner was grilled king salmon and a Cajun rice dish with peas. Dave turned out to be one of those cooks who could do a lot with the little he had to work with, using a light touch and spices he'd brought from home. I've been introduced to any number of so-called chefs at fishing camps who turned out to be passable short-order cooks at best. But Dave was the opposite, a trained chef who was feeding fishermen in the Alaskan bush for private reasons while incessantly listening to Frank Sinatra on his iPod. Taylor said his girlfriend back home had suggested he lose a few pounds over the summer, but he hadn't been able to manage it. He shot Dave a look that seemed to fall halfway between blame and affection. It didn't take a lot of imagination to see how things would go out here. These guys were in camp for months. And the interminable Arctic summer daylights would make time stand still. Days would revolve around meals and the daily weather call from the lodge to see about flying conditions, a mundane shore on which lives could conceivably depend. Wind speed would be an educated.